So quick review for some of you guys. Who, who is here that's your first, first time? You haven't been here yet? Okay, cool. We're going to do a quick review. It's not going to tell you a whole lot. It's going to tell you some principles that we have talked about. Uh, but you missed all the fun history lessons and things that we've done so far. Tell me, somebody who remembers, what was our first lesson? Uh, Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura, which is Scripture alone. So remember that. Uh, we believe what we believe solely on Scripture and that alone. Not Scripture and the philosophies or the New Age movement or Scripture and what your preacher tells you, Scripture what the priest tells you. Uh, we learned that the whole Protestant Reformation uh, stemmed from a realization that we're going to base everything on Scripture alone. And then last week we talked about what? Sola fide. Somebody tell me what that means. Faith alone, that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ in that alone. Okay, and we're going to talk about another tonight. Uh, anybody know any of you study ahead? Sola gratia. Sola gratia, which is what? Grace alone. This is very important. It's very important in understanding not just the scripture that we're going to look at tonight. It is very important in understanding soteriology, which is a fancy word for salvation. We're going to be talking about saving grace tonight and that we are saved by grace alone. We're saved by grace alone. And you can go ahead. We're going to focus on this tonight, this great chapter on grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible, and as you're turning there, uh, we're going to, for a minute, uh, define grace, uh, because we have a bunch of mixed understandings of grace, and I'm going to simplify that for you. It is unmerited favor. That means this, you didn't do anything to get it, and God gave you his favor. You didn't merit that favor, or work for, or earn. Um, the word grace, in its language in the Greek, is this. It is a sovereign moving toward a subject. It's not the reverse of that. It's not a subject moving toward a sovereign. It is a sovereign moving toward a subject. And so when we, we get this and we understand that, we see that grace is going to be the thing that allows us anything from a holy God. We know and we talked about it last week, faith is a gift. And it is a grace gift. And all things that we're going to discuss and all things that we are going to receive from God are by, are by grace alone. But more specifically tonight, we're going to talk about uh, God's saving grace. Um, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, he was a former pastor, preacher. He's since passed away in the um, early 1900s and he, 1930s, 1940s. He pastored the Westminster Chapel in London. And he said this, The ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. The ultimate test of our spirituality is the level of our amazement toward the grace of God. I want you to think about that for a second. Because we sing songs, lots of songs, not just amazing grace, lots of songs about the amazement of God's grace, but yet many times we don't stand amazed at God's grace. So what I want to do tonight is when we talk about saving grace and that God saves us through his grace alone, I want us to leave here, hopefully, and if you're born again, I'll tell you this, you'll leave here with a higher level of amazement 
in God's grace from just the 10 verses that we're going to look at and we're going to cover tonight. So again, let me remind you of this. We're not talking about common grace. Let me explain common grace to you. The world is under the common grace of God. Every lost man who takes a breath, even though if it's his last, he'll spend an eternity separated from God in hell, he is under the common grace of God. That God would even allow us to exist is grace. We're not talking about that necessarily, though it may drift over in that some. We are talking about and focusing on his saving grace that falls only on the elect, those who are chosen and those who are saved by grace through faith alone. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2. Everybody over there? Let me just say this. This is a Bible study, but if at any point in time you just want to shout because you're amazed by the grace of God, you feel free to do that. We will pause, let you have your fit, and then we will get right back into this. Because I promise you, every time I read this passage of Scripture, I get a little excited. And I don't get excited because I have anything to offer God. I get excited because the sovereign God of this universe moves toward this subject. Watch what it says. Not when I got my life together, because I've never gotten my life together. Watch what he says to us. And then what we're going to do is, for the remainder of the time, we're going to break this down. Um, Eleven different points that we're going to get from these ten verses that we're going to talk about in some detail, if not great detail tonight. So, chapter 2, verse 1, says, As for you. Most of my Bibles have this. I have an arrow to that U, and I run it out there to a margin, and I wrote Kurt there. I would encourage you write your name there. If you're born again here today, your name goes right there at, at the, the place where it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's referring to Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3 says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, underline that word nature, we were by nature objects of wrath. Verse 4. Thank you, Lord, for verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Did he make you alive when you moved toward him? When you were dead in transgressions. I just spoke to a young lady just this week, and it was a pretty awesome encounter. She called the church. Didn't really know who she was. She wanted to talk to somebody about her anxiety and the things she was going through. And she had called three other churches and nobody had time to listen to the poor young lady. So she called me and she said, can, can I have someone counsel with me about these things that I'm going through? And I said, sure. So I do my counseling in the afternoon. And so I'm free at 1.30. If you want to come up here at 1.30 today, she said, good, because I'm so shaken up by just everything that, that I... Uh, that I've left school today, and she's actually in a, a beauty school of some sort. And she said, I'll be there at 1.30. I said, good. So she came up, and uh, it took me about 10 minutes in this conversation to realize this girl didn't need help with anxiety. This girl was lost. 
sweet girl, but just didn't know Christ. And it was one of those divine encounters. And I'll go ahead and skip to the chase. We, we talked about this passage a lot, and I told her, and I want you to do this. When we got to the part where it says um, that when we were dead in our transgressions, I said, I want you to close your eyes for a second. She did. I said, I'm going to close mine too. I'm going to think of the worst thing that I've ever done. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, and I'm not going to ask you what the worst thing is that you've ever done. But I want you to know something. Whatever it is that entered your mind just now, that's where Christ died for you. And the little girl began to weep, and she said, I've always felt like God could never accept me for the things that I had done in my past. And I said, isn't it good to know that when you were dead in your sin, He makes you alive. And that's the truth. So it says that, verse 5, He made us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. Underline that. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul wants us to understand this. This is why he repeats it. Verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we could read that text, shout glory to the Lamb, thank you, Father, walk out the door, and be somewhat satisfied. That's not what I want to do tonight. That's what we've done too many times. What I want to do is I want to talk about His grace in detail in just those ten verses. I want you to see, number one, if you're keeping notes, write this down. That God's saving grace is loving grace. Loving grace. The first thing I want you to see is that it is loving grace. Verse 4 says, but because of His great, what? Love for us, but because of His great love for us. I want you to understand something tonight. Everybody, look at me, pay attention. None of you in here were lovable. None of you will ever be lovable. Not from the viewpoint of a holy God, I promise you. You are all, in and of yourself, detestable. So please understand something. When we talk about the love of God, that affection that He has for His children, please understand this. It is by grace alone that God loves us. He doesn't love us because we did anything good enough to even turn His head. Everybody understand that? How many of you are married here today? At some point in time, the lady that you're married to turns your head. She caught your eye. You were intrigued by her. Maybe it was her wit. Maybe it was her personality. Maybe, if you're like most men, it was her beauty. But the thing is, there was something worthy about her that caused you to take that second glance and to pursue that relationship and then to fall in love. I want you to understand this. It doesn't work like that with God. 
You've never caught his eye with anything that was worthy enough to catch a holy God's eye. It is by grace that he loves you. So understand, we see God's grace is a loving grace. God didn't have to love us. No one's big enough to put a gun to God's head and say, love those sinners. He decreed to love us. Why? I have no idea. That's the mystery that I'll never be able to figure out. It's unexplainable love. But he loved us because of his grace. God, by his grace alone, chose to love us. Isn't that comforting? Let let me tell you why it's comforting. Because if God chose to love me based on his grace, he's never going to unlove me based on my performance. Did y'all catch that? If God chose to love me by his grace, he's never going to unlove me based on Kurt's performance. Based on your performance, your performance, your performance. He's already determined in his sovereign mind by his grace to love you. That's refreshing in so many ways. So we see his grace, according to Ephesians 2, is loving grace. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. We see number two is his merciful grace. Merciful grace. Now, this is mercy toward the sinner, just as love was love toward the detestable. You say, man, I can't get over that he would love me when I was detestable. Don't. That's the whole purpose of this. That's what I'm telling you. That's why we should be amazed by his grace. Don't get over that. Then when we get to mercy, don't get over the fact that he was mercy. He showed his mercy toward the sinner. Mercy. Now, now you think about that for a second. A lot of people get mercy and grace confused. Mercy is a grace. I'll tell you that. Without his grace, we wouldn't receive mercy. Anyone here deserve the mercy of God? Any of you here worthy of the mercy of God? Any of you here never committed any act of rebellion toward God? Oh, none of us deserve the mercy of God. In fact, we're going to read on in a second. We all deserve what? The wrath of God. But by His grace alone, His grace alone, He has extended mercy to those who He's chosen to show mercy to. If you've received God's mercy here today, let me tell you something. It was God's choice. It was God's choice. You didn't wake up one day and say, I'm choosing to receive God's mercy without a gracious God offering you that mercy. If it, if it was that way, mercy would not be of grace. Salvation would not be of grace. Again, God would then owe you something because you made a right decision to do whatever it was to get mercy. But you couldn't do anything right. It's by His grace that He has shown us mercy. We read on, He's rich in mercy. What is good about that? You ever going to run out? So just as we saw with gracious love, gracious mercy means this. His mercies are never going to run out for those who he has lavished his grace upon. In fact, you know what scripture tells us? Somebody tell me what we know about his mercies and his compassions. What do they do? Endure forever. But what else? Something. Every what? Every day. Every morning new compassion, new mercy. So we understand that, that that God's not going to run out. In fact, what does he say about sin? Where sin increased through the law, what happened? 
grace did that much more increase. So, so here's the good news for you, and this is not an excuse so you can go live any way you want to live. In fact, it ought to produce the opposite in a true believer. That when you do blow it, it doesn't change the grace of his mercy. His mercy gets bigger than your sin. Anybody here thankful for that? I told you, I don't mind if you shout. I don't mind if you shout twice. Three times. We'll stop. Because I know this. Without his mercy, I would be destined for hell. Without his mercy, I would be destined for judgment. Without his mercy, I would be lost. But because of his grace, by his grace alone, that's what we're talking about tonight, grace alone, he's given me mercy. We read on. Who is rich in mercy? And verse 5 says, he made us alive. Take that word alive, because we're going to see loving grace, merciful grace, and then the next thing we see in this passage is regenerating grace. Regenerating grace. People sometimes get scared of those big theological and technical words. Don't. Regenerating grace is simply this. The dead have been made alive. Don't complicate that. The dead have been made alive. Before Christ, you were dead in your sin. Isn't that what the passage told us? The first three verses are dealing with that. We gratified the cravings of our sinful nature. We were dead and lost and condemned in our sin. But because of His great love, His mercy, He's made us alive. It is regenerating grace. This is what we see all throughout the New Testament referred to as a rebirth or being born again. In fact, Jesus, when he spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus spoke with urgency. What did he say? You must. Not you should entertain this or you should toss it around or no. You must be born again. Now, how is a person born again? Is it of their own volition? Do do they just say, I want to be born again today, and it sounds great? Or did Jesus not also teach that if the Spirit doesn't draw you, you can't come to the Father? So it's by His grace that the Spirit regenerates us, right? Because we are born of the flesh, and we understand that pretty clearly, don't we? We We're experts at operating the flesh. We also have to be born of the what? That same explanation that Jesus gave Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Flesh gives birth to the flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to what? Spirit. So understand this, it is the Holy Spirit's work through God's grace alone that allows us who were dead men in our sin to be made alive in Christ Jesus. Not too long ago I read probably the worst book that I've ever read in my life It was recommended by another Christian brother. And he said, tell me what you think about this. I I couldn't even tell the guy what I thought about it. It was so bad. I was afraid I was going to hurt his feelings. It was everything wrong about grace. It was everything wrong about election and predestination. It was everything wrong regarding Scripture. It was almost as if this person decided that I'm going to throw all of the Scripture out of the window, and it's not going to matter. I'm going to give you my opinion and back it up without a context gibberish. 
And so what this person did in this book, he said this. He said this statement, and it, it bothered me the most. He said, nowhere, and I quote, nowhere in Scripture does it ever refer to a sinner as in a corpse-like state. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't get any deader than dead. Now, here's the thing. And so that was the first time I threw the book across my office. I think the second time I threw it at Jake, uh, I came down the hall and said, this is garbage. And we talked about why it was garbage. But he says that we were dead and we were made alive by the grace of God. I want you to think about that for a second. All of you people who want to take credit for salvation, you might be Armenian here, you won't be long. But you want to take credit for what you did to get saved when you turned your life around, or when I started my life over. Dead people don't. Don't what? They don't. Dead people don't do anything. And so Scripture is very clear about Scripture. I was dead when I was made alive. I want you to think about that for a second. You didn't really have a whole lot of say in doing anything there, did you? It was Christ through His grace who regenerates you. God, by His grace alone, regenerated us through the power of His Spirit. We were born of the flesh to our mothers. We were born of the Spirit unto God because we were dead in our sin the moment we came out of our mother's womb. It's called the curse of Adam. Go back and read about it. It starts way back in Genesis. So understand, through His grace, we have been regenerated. We've been made alive. I love it when I talk to people about Christ and they surrender their life to Christ. And they say things like this. Just like the other day. I feel like I can breathe for the very first time. The little girl said this. Watch this. This is how this works. She said, I need to surrender my life to Christ. I said, well, the Bible says this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you willing to call upon the name of the Lord? And what that means is to abandon your life toward Him by faith and that alone, trusting in His grace and His mercy. She said, I am. I said, well, the Bible says it like this, that we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead and we shall be saved. Why? Because it's with confession from our mouth where we make that confession and it's in our heart that we believe. I said, you Believing that that's true. She said, yes, sir. Tears pouring down from her face. I said this. Do you mind if I just kneel right here beside you while you surrender your life to Christ? She said, no, sir. Knelt beside her. And this is what she said. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. She thought she had anxiety problems. She realized she had dead problems. I am a sinner. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I know that you've died so that today I could live a brand new life. What happened? I didn't tell her to pray that. I took her to the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... I took her to the Word of God. And God dumped His grace on her. And in a moment, she was regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit by the grace of God. He showed her His mercy. He showed her His love. She left here and said, you know, for the very first time, and this girl had been through a lot. She said for the very first time, I know God loves me. I said, you bet. You bet. Don't you forget that. So we see it's regenerating grace, the rebirth that he gives us. 
He goes on to say this. Verse 5, He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That's our sins. The worst place. It is by grace you have been, this is the next word, saved. Underline it. Highlight it. It is by grace you've been saved. His grace is a saving grace. Where would we be without His grace? The saving grace. And when I talk about saving grace, it is salvation for the elect. You say, well, how do I know if I am of the elect? Has He saved you? You are one of the chosen. Because it's by His grace. I understand some of you up until this point, you might have thought in error. I want you to get beyond those errors. I, I want you to stop thinking fleshly when we unfold theological things. Did you know theological things are God things? You can't really understand God things from fleshly points of view. Okay, so understand something here today. You did not choose God. He chose you. If you think that you chose God, A, you're immature in your faith, and you're going to grow and you're going to understand as you study the Word of God, okay, wait, I was wrong. Or, you chose God, and it did not result in salvation, and you can't figure out why your life hasn't changed. Because He hasn't graciously regenerated you with the rebirth. You're trying to do it on your own. So understand, when we talk about saving grace, we are talking about salvation for God's elect, those He has chosen to grant salvation. I want to help all of you. He did not have to save not one single person in this room. He did not have to save not one single person in this world. Y'all look at me kind of strange. Let that sink in. Because then we see election as a beautiful thing. Because we all deserve what? Judgment and hell. Yet, by His grace, He has chosen a people unto Himself. This stems all the way back to a guy named Abram. Y'all remember Abram? Y'all remember the day Abram came to God and begged Him to start a People from his lineage? No, you don't. You don't ever remember when Abram begged God to start a people from his lineage. If you say that, you know that. You read the wrong Bible. God came to Abram when he was lost. He was just a dude out doing what dudes do. God came to him. and He let him know, hey, I'm making a covenant with you. We don't get to make deals with God. God makes covenants by His grace with man. He said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And we know this. Those of us who have been extended grace through Jesus Christ have been included in that promise of Abraham's lineage, the seed that God was raising up for His glory. So we see saving grace. We see it all throughout Scripture. Saving grace was not based upon the will of man, on the will of God. God, by His grace alone, chooses to save those who He desires to save. Now, if you get upset about that, I'm going to encourage you to do something. Go home tonight and take it up with God. Don't come at me about it. I get that all the time. 
Well, I can't believe that you believe God chose you specifically. He did. You know how I know that? I would have never chose him. Neither would any of you. Romans tells us no one seeks after God. There's none righteous. No, not one. Not one of you has ever sought after God as a sinner. You sought after your own desires. What, what did he say? Your cravings of the flesh to follow your thoughts. And you, by nature, deserve wrath. Sounds like a God seeker to me, doesn't it to you? Huh? No, I'm just honest about what Scripture says. I didn't seek God at all. I sought success for me, and I sought my own agenda. I sought my own gratifications of my own flesh. But by His grace, He came to me lovingly, mercifully, regenerating me while I was dead, making me alive, and giving salvation to me, choosing me to be one of His children. Watch this in spite of what I was. What was I? He said, you were a child of Satan, belonging to the kingdom of the air, doing whatever it is that you wanted to do. And that's when, that's when I graciously saved you. Do you think it's an accident that Paul just throws it in there? It's by grace you've been saved. It's grace, the saving grace of God. And then we see next, and we read on, I could just park there on the saving grace part for a while and just, y'all want to just go through the room and take turns shouting? If you've been saved, you know what I'm talking about. Something inside of you says, thank you, Lord. Verse 6 says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Underline that. Raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now, wait a second. We just went from child of Satan following the cravings of my sinful nature and my flesh, doing whatever in the world I wanted to do, totally dead in my sins, to now I've been made alive and I share a place with Christ in the presence of God. You don't think His grace is a changing grace? My whole position with the Creator just changed in reading that verse. My position changed. Aren't you glad that He shows us His changing grace? God could have left us as ungodly sinners destined for hell, separated from Him and all of His holiness. Isn't that what we deserve? But I don't know about you, but when I read that, He raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, if I go back and I cross-reference this in my Bible, you can do the same. We'll see this, that Christ is seated, where? At the right hand of the throne of God. He just told me in this passage that I was dead in my sin, that I followed Satan, that I was craving after the things of this world and the things of my flesh, deserving of God's wrath, but God loved me enough and is rich in mercy enough by His grace regenerating me, making me alive when I was dead, saving me through His election, His choosing, His salvation, and then totally changing my position with the Holy God. I want you to get that. I want you to understand. I promise you this. If this group of men get this, that's more than any men in this community get. I promise you, even in the church world in this community, most people don't get this. This is why we're doing this on a Thursday night. 
Because what I want, I want strong men of God to leave this building and to go out and understand the grace of God. Because when you understand the grace of God, you will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost and the dying, just like you were lost and dying at one time in hopes that they would, by His grace, be made alive in Christ Jesus. And their positions change. Their eternal position. Aren't you thankful your eternal positions change? My eternal positions change. My eternal prognosis is changed. You know what? I was damned for eternity because of sin. Condemned. And His grace changed that. Changed my position. Changed my eternal prognosis. Go back. John chapter 3. Read the story of Nicodemus. If you don't believe in Christ, you're condemned already. I didn't even have to do anything to be condemned. I was born in unbelief and sin. But yet he changed my eternal prognosis from judgment to fellowship. Oh, that'll change the way we pray, won't it? The frequency of our prayer. Ain't the devil crafty at making you think that God doesn't accept you because you've done wrong? But yet we're seeing here that the grace of God has changed my position. The Word of God says this, I've been brought near by the blood of the Lamb. That blood was shed only because of God's sovereign plan. It is His grace. And that is the thing that changes my position, the grace of God. My position, my eternal prognosis, and my eternal dwelling place. I'm positionally seated with Christ, but you know what? One day, one day I will be glorified and I will practically Right? The practical meets the positional. I love that. I will, in a glorified body, dwell with God in Christ for all eternity. And so will all of those who have received salvation through the grace of God. That ought to fire somebody up. I thought this was a Bible study. We go on. I told you we're going we're gonna to take this verse. You've read through it many times, I'm sure. Don't read through it so fast that you miss it. We see loving grace, merciful grace, regenerating grace, saving grace, changing grace. We're about halfway. Anybody need to catch up? You miss one, you miss two. God, by His grace alone, has changed us. Our eternal position, our eternal prognosis, and our eternal dwelling place. see this. We read on. He has seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, now, in the coming ages, coming ages, future, that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. Now, I want to help you with that word incomparable because it's a difficult one. It means you can't comprehend it. Now, I know you're, you're already, hopefully, all stricken at the grace of God. We're only halfway through. And you're trying to comprehend it. Let me just warn you, don't blow your brain up tonight. Get what you can and rejoice and praise Him for it. Then when He reveals more, Grab that too and rejoice and praise Him for it. 
It is glorifying grace. We're going to learn in a few weeks, sola dio gloria, which is to God's glory alone. Why? Right? Why did God show his grace to dead sinners like Kirk Hall? Why? For his greater glory. So there couldn't be a measurement put on his riches. Incomparable. So that in the end, for all eternity, we bow at his feet and praise him for who he is and for what he's done. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And holy is the Lamb who was slain. We'll never understand the incomparable riches of his grace, but yet he desires through you as recipients for your lifetime and in the ages to come. For you to be a representation of His glory, that incomparable glory, His riches, to a lost and dying world, for your lifetime and for all eternity. It's glorifying grace. It's grace that brings God glory. Why did God give us His grace? Because He chose to. Because it makes Him look really, really majestic. And you know what? He is really really majestic. You want me to tell you how majestic he is? I can't. It's incomparable. We already covered that. You're slow learners. It's incomparable. We we, we, we can't say his his grace is like this and his his glory from his grace looks like this and it compare it doesn't compare to anything. It compares to nothing. We can't comprehend it. We can put it side by side to the greatest thing we can think of. And the greatest thing that we can think of, opposite of God and His glory and His grace, is nothing compared to God's riches, His glory, His grace. Incomparable. You see, it's glorifying grace. God, by His grace alone, has shown through Christ alone. We'll be talking about that next week. He has shown through Christ alone the incomparable riches of His glorious grace. He goes on, he says this, and and here's how he expresses that, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We see that God's saving grace is kind grace. That's for all the Armenians who say this, it's not fair. If God chooses some and doesn't choose others, that doesn't seem very nice. It's kind. It's bigger than nice. I tell you this, if God only saved one, that's incomparable grace. If God would have only saved one person, that's incomparable grace. Because every man has violated a holy God and is deserving of death, hell, and judgment. If he were to save only one, we couldn't measure how big that grace is. Aren't you thankful that he's so much more gracious than we could ever describe? He's kind. when We don't deserve kindness. God didn't have to show his kindness. We obviously don't deserve it. Anybody here deserve the kindness of God? You stand forth and make a fool out of yourself. 
Don't we deserve? What did Ephesians just tell us? We deserve the wrath. Aren't you thankful that Jesus bore your wrath so that you could receive God's kindness? Did you get that? I said shouting's aloud tonight. Aren't you glad that He put the wrath on Christ so that you could receive by His grace kindness? We know what Scripture says, that His kindness, what? What does it do? It leads us to repentance. His kindness leads us to repentance. When you see the grace of God, I'm telling you this, if you've truly seen the grace of God, He's revealed that to you, you will repent. It's a package deal. Because you won't be able to even comprehend how a holy God could be kind to you because you know your every evil thought, your every evil desire, your every evil action. But yet in His grace, which is kind grace, He's extended to you salvation, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, love. Changed your position and saved you for all eternity. You see, His kind grace. You don't want to stop? Just kidding. We read on, verse 8. For it is by grace, in case you haven't understood this tonight, it's by what? Grace. Grace what? Accompanied with your works? Grace accompanied with your good merit? No. For it is by grace. You have been saved through faith. We talked about that last week. The only doorway, faith alone, that justifies us. Faith in Christ and what He did at Calvary. And this is not from yourselves. He wants us to know that. You didn't do this. It is the gift of God. Underline, highlight, gift. It's giving grace. Giving grace. Grace and saving grace alone is an unmerited gift from God. He didn't say it was a payment that he owed you. Right? Wouldn't that be a bummer on your birthday if people brought you presents and said, hey, you owe me 50 bucks for that? No, you missed the whole concept of gift. I don't pay for a gift. A gift is freely given, and you purchased it, for the one who you decided to bestow it upon. That's a gift, right? It's elementary. This is why I have such a hard time with people who can't really understand election. God's choosing is grace. It's a gift. And if it's a gift, guess what? If it's your birthday, Brian, if it's your birthday, I can choose to buy you a present or I can choose not to buy you a present. But I promise if I choose to buy you one, I'm not going to bill you for it. Right? So when we look at this, understand it's giving grace. Grace is an unmerited gift from God, something that you don't deserve. You don't have to pay for it. God didn't have to give it to us. Did you know that? By grace, you've been saved through faith, and it's a gift. He didn't have to gift you with his grace, nor did he have to gift you with the faith to believe. You bet. It's a gift. Gift. It's either a gift or it's not a gift. So if he made that promise, was that promise of grace? Is it grace? So for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, shall be saved. Right? That's what you're asking. Right? What you're asking is, does that 
what does that verse there, does it negate every other verse in Scripture that has to do with election and calling? Absolutely not. Here's the thing. Faith is also that same gift. You wouldn't have called on him had he not put the faith in you to believe. So here's the thing. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will that person be saved? If that person is saved, is that person one of the elect? Was he saved by grace through faith and that alone? Was it a gift from God? All right. Let's answer it fully with the entirety of Scripture, apart from our emotions. What does the Scripture say? Yeah, 100%. We learned last week, and it's not a coincidence that we learn in this order. Sola fide, faith alone in Christ. And that it also is a grace gift, right? We, we covered it last week for an hour and a half. So if I have the faith to call out to Jesus, was it from him? We're going to see when we study the scriptures and we mature and we grow, we're going to see that God gets really, really big and we get really, really insignificant. The things that we do become insignificant in our own strength and our own power. The things that we do in the power of Christ become significant for God's glory and that alone. That will be the last lesson. God's glory alone. So we move along. Giving grace, it is a gift by His grace alone offered to us through the doorway of faith that He graciously opens for us. We see this. This is why I take such a big stance on grace. Because I know man. Because I am one. He said this, that it's a gift of God, not by works. Here's the reason why it has to be a gift. You ready for it? So that Kirk Hall won't talk about how good he is. So that Kirk Hall won't say, look what I've done. I believed in God. The devils believe and they tremble. You can brag on your head knowledge. Take it upon yourself that you studied this and you gained all kind of wisdom and knowledge. And it may have led you to the truth about God, but it didn't lead you to the life-changing power of God that comes only through grace alone that is given by God's sovereign choice. That should humble us. It is humbling grace. Why does he say that? So that I, I won't boast. God forbid that I would ever take credit for the things that God has done in my life. And here's the thing. We know this. Most of you in here who have been in church any amount of time, hopefully not at this church, but for any amount of time you have seen people, whether they intended on doing it or not, taking credit for the things that God deserves credit for. You did not turn your life around. You did not decide to get it right. You did not desire to follow God. You did everything opposite of that, or Ephesians is a lie. And let me just tell you this, if Ephesians is a lie, Galatians is a lie, and Corinthians is a lie, and Genesis is a lie, and Revelation is a lie, and it's all a lie, and I'm going fishing. See you guys later. But I believe it's the truth. And so when I look at the truth, the truth sets us free. It sets us free to let God be who He is and lets me be who I am, a humble servant the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, if it's anything other than grace, I'm not going to be too humble, am I? 
was me, me and God, like old Josh Turner said. Me and God. Got news for you, Josh. Wasn't you and God. It was God's grace. That's it. If you get anything from God, you had nothing to do with it because there's nothing godly about you but the Spirit of God who lives in you because of your faith in Christ that God gave to you. I'm just going to throw these things down. So we understand this, and when we really understand it, or I hope you're understanding it a little more, that God by His grace alone has saved you so that you will stay in a position of humility toward God. God gives us warnings in His Word. Warnings like, oh, if you think that you stand, take heed, lest you what? You fall. If I ever think that I stand in my own power, I'm in trouble, huh? So the best thing for me to do is just to stand in the humility and in the awe at God's grace and to know that it's He that saved me. Did you know this? And this is just for free. You're taking notes. Salvation isn't by election. Then it's not by grace alone. I want you to think about that for a second. If salvation isn't by election, then it's not by God's grace alone. We will understand God more when we understand the only reason that we were allowed to believe is because He sovereignly allowed us to believe. That doesn't make God anything other than gracious. I am absolutely positively saying the only choice that you have is to sin in and of your carnal nature. That's what Ephesians just told us. He said, before He showered His grace upon you, you were gratifying the sinful nature of your flesh. You were a servant of Satan. Now, I know the question arises. Do we believe? Yes. Those are parallel truths. Those are the heads and the tails of a quarter. In our realm where we live in, we believe. But how are we able to believe in something we did not seek? Thank you. Grace alone. Solo gratia. Grace alone, that's the only way. Why? So we don't boast. He just said it. This is the whole point and why he's saying this. Do you know the Apostle Paul could have boasted on so many things? He even made a list at a point in time of the things he could boast in. And you know what he said? They're garbage. They're garbage. Because let me tell you something. Paul thought he was serving God, but he wasn't seeking God. He thought he was serving God, he was religious, but he wasn't seeking God, and he was riding along, doing things in the name of God, and he didn't even realize while doing things in the name of God, he was doing them for Satan. Whoa. And remember when, you remember on the road to Damascus, when Saul knocked Jesus down and said, I need you to be my Lord? Now, if you know anything about Scripture, that's not exactly how it happened. Election came, and Paul believed. So I'm going to define it for you very simply. I'm going to steal it from a great theologian, Arthur Pink. He said this. He said, election is the cause. Jason, pay attention to this one. You'll like this one. Election is the cause. Belief 
expect. Election is the cause, and belief is the effect. I don't know about you, but when I was smacked with God's grace, I couldn't help at that point but to believe. Why? He pulled me out of darkness into light. Bam! I saw the light, just like Paul did on the road to Damascus. I know this challenges you. If, 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 you, if you've been, up in any, been brought up in any hint of Armenianism, this challenges you. I hope it does. I hope it challenges you to go to the Word of God and see that everything that I'm telling you is truth. So when we look at grace, grace becomes a big, 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 big deal. In fact, it becomes everything, doesn't it? So people say, well, I, 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 I really believe. Yes, you did. Because God chose you to believe. His election is the cause. Belief is the effect. Everybody knows that, right? We learned that in elementary school. Cause and effect. Mm. Y'all going to love some grace when you leave here tonight. You're going to leave here tonight and you're not going to worry about what can you do to mess up God's plan. You can't do anything to mess up God's plan. It's His grace that has saved you so that you can't boast. It's humbling grace. I'd be done. I promise. I would have already been done. But we, we had questions. I got excited. I'll blame it on the questions. Jason, it's all your fault. No, I don't mind questions. But save them to the end. We'll have fun. We see this. The next thing as we read along in our text. He says, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This is where works comes in. Created in who? Christ Jesus to do what? So we're going to learn a term. It's effectual grace. Grace that produces an effect. Do works save you? Absolutely, positively not. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God so that no man can boast. Let me put my name back in there. So that Kirk cannot boast. Why? Because Kirk is prideful in his flesh. And so are all of you. If you're trying to pretend like you aren't, you are a Pharisee. I am prideful in every aspect of my flesh. That's why I must die to my flesh so that the grace of God can carry me in the new life that I have in Christ. Effectual grace, grace that brings an effect. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. I love that Paul says that. His grace was not without effect. You, you've heard of people who say they're recipients of grace and there's never a change. How many of you understand? God's grace changes. It's not without effect. It's effectual grace. No, Paul says, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I. Watch this but the grace of God that was within me. What an awesome testimony of the grace of God. Paul says, the grace that I received was not without effect. In fact, I worked harder in ministry than all of them because it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working in and through me. We could preach 37 passages, I mean 37 sermons on that one little passage today, couldn't we? 1 Corinthians 15.10 God's grace will have a true effect on the recipient. 
you cannot receive God's grace and stay the same. Why? Because he just told us, you're God's handiwork. Handiwork. You're the clay. He's the potter. You're the wood. He's the carpenter. You're the engine. He's the auto mechanic. However you want to define that, you are his handiwork, and he is doing in you the good works, and we're going to see more about that in a second, that his grace brings us to. God, by his grace, has produced good works in each of you who are in Christ, I assure you, or he is attempting right now through his Spirit to produce good works in you as we are here today. Why? Because it's effectual grace. The person who says, I have grace, oh yeah, I've done that. You've done what? Well, I have his grace. Yeah, but you're the same. And Paul says that grace produces an effect. What effect is grace producing in your life? I don't say that to make you doubt your salvation. I say that to make you really examine yourself and say, okay, are there good works? Is there fruit in my life? Has God's grace produced an effect in me? Valid questions that Scripture says it will. God, by His grace alone, has produced good works in those truly are recipients of His grace. Effectual grace. Lastly, where all the questions come, we're going to say the P word. Are you ready? Predestined grace. Predestined grace. The, wor the word we're all afraid of because nobody will teach it to you. Or if they do teach it to you, they just teach you that it's wrong and you shouldn't believe in it. Predestined. You believe in predestination. Go tell everyone. Kirk Hall believes in predestination. And I'm thankful that I'm predestined. Go tell them. You would. Predestined grace. Look what he says. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When did he prepare them? Tell me again. In advance. God prepared them in advance for us to do. Interesting, isn't it? So that means this. There were works prepared for me. Let's read this backwards. There were works prepared for me to do by God's handiwork in Christ Jesus. Not that I would actually accomplish by myself so I couldn't brag, but because of the grace of God which He showed me while I was a wretched sinner, and he seated me in the heavenly realm because I had been made alive when I was dead. I was saved because of his mercy, because he loved me in eternity past. Don't cheat yourself by not reading Scripture backward from where you came. Get to where you're going, then read it backward and see where you came from. I came from filth, sin. Deadness. But God predestined me for good works in Christ? Huh? God's grace is perfectly planned by His sovereign hand. It was perfectly planned in eternity past. You don't believe that? I'll help you. God's grace alone has prepared 
each of you who are believers here today in Christ. He has prepared in advance things for you to do for His glory. He sovereignly predestined recipients of grace to look like Jesus. Did you know that? Romans tells us that. 8.29, for those God foreknew, He also predestined. There's that bad word that nobody wants to talk about. Predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. Had some ladies not too long ago in the ladies' Bible study. I happened to walk by in the hall and say, Pastor, come here. Can you tell us what predestined means? And I said, to be destined pre. They said, it's that simple? I said, yes, it is. Why do we have to complicate this? It's biblical. Why do we have to run from it? It's biblical. Let's understand it. Let's understand it together. Let's rejoice in the grace of God that He has a plan that's bigger than anything that we can even imagine. Incomparable grace. So you think about that, and you think about predestined grace that God chose before the foundations of the earth to save this wretch. This wretch, whom he foreknew, he did also predestine to be conformed to the likeness of his son. I want to talk to you about foreknew for just one second. Because that is an intimate term. Knew. He knew me intimately. He knew me intimately before the foundations of the earth. If you were in Christ here today, you listen to me, you listen to me carefully. He knew you intimately before the foundations of the earth. And it is by His grace that every move that happened in your life that drew you to that point of belief, right? Because grace, we know this, grace and election, the cause, belief, the effect, everything in your life. Go back and look at it. I told you, get to the end and go back to the beginning. Retrace your steps. And he orchestrated it all for his glory so that in the the ages to come, he might show the incomparable riches. Wow. Wow. Predestined grace. He knew us before the foundations of the earth. I'm going to leave you with three more things that aren't in this passage. But they are in the Bible, and I want you to see them. I want you to understand them. Arthur Pink said this in the book called The Attributes of God. He used three words to describe God's saving grace. Then he confirmed it with Scripture. And I love these three words because it's simple, yet it's precise. He said, number one, that God's grace is eternal. God's grace is eternal based on 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. I'll read it for you. You write it down. You go back and look at it. He says this, 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Watch what it says next. I love it. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given 
to us in Christ Jesus, watch this, before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is His eternal plan that He's graciously allowed you to get in on. Think about it. No, I, I hope you get blown away by that. This is His eternal, but before the beginning of the world as we know it. What did it say? Not because of anything we've done, but, by, but, but because of his, grace, or his own purpose and grace. The grace was given. It was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Not the before, the, before the beginning of your life. Before the beginning of time as man knows it. Before Christ spoke the earth into existence, it was already in God's plan to show His love and His mercy and His forgiveness and His grace to a wretch named Kirk Hall. You can keep a little God if you want Him, but He's not the God of Scripture. He's not the God that in the next few weeks when we start the book of Romans, who's going to flip your life upside down. He's eternal. Tink also said this, His grace is free. He uses Romans chapter 3 to tell us that. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified, what's the next word? Freely. By His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We learned last week, right? Justified by faith alone, sola fide. What we see also in here, sola fide comes because of, because of sola gratia. Freely given. He ends with this, His grace is sovereign. Sovereign. You know why I'm thankful that His grace is sovereign? He's in control of it, and I'm not. His grace is sovereign. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Watch this. For He chose us in Him, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight, in love. We talked about His love. And it's of His grace. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ 
in accordance with what? His pleasure and His will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Watch this. In accordance with the riches of God's grace. What kind of riches are they? Incomparable. That He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of whose will? His will. According to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. A wise man once said it like this. He said, you can do your best, the best that you can, still fall short. You can do the best that you can and still fall short. That's what makes God's saving grace so amazing. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God, through His grace, has reached down and saved all of you who are in Christ here today in accordance with His good pleasure, His perfect will. So I say this as we close and we'll go into question and answer time. Unless you're saved by grace, you can't be saved. Before you put your Bibles up, I want you to pay attention to that. You want to write that one down. Unless you're saved by grace, you can't be saved by God. Because God saves by grace alone. I'm thankful today that he doesn't need my help because I would just mess up his grace because I'm tainted with sin and I'm flawed with flesh. But it's his grace that has saved us. Solo gratia. It's all God's grace and his grace alone that saves sinners like me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you. That everything that we looked at tonight, your love, your mercy, your regenerating power through your spirit, the fact that you saved us and changed us, all the things that we have uncovered in this one small passage tonight about your grace, we thank you, Lord. Because you didn't have to do not one single one of those things. You chose to do them all. chose to do them all by the precious blood of your Son who saved us before the foundations of the earth, those of us who are chosen in Christ. We thank you for that. We don't take that for granted. We stand in awe. You're amazing. You're amazing grace. Lord, every day of our lives, blow us away. Blow us away so that we can be vessels of your glory. Bring praise and honor to people your kingdom. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word, the truth that it contains, because it is your truth. We give you praise. Thank you for these men. Bless their lives as they study your word. Change them. Make them 
into mighty men of God, theologians. Theologians who will take the truth of the Word of God. Take that truth to the captives who are dead in their sins. So that they may be set free by your grace. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We thank you for your cross. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.